As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hi there, this is The Athletic Football Podcast Weekend Preview. It is the last set of fixtures before Christmas and it is our last show of 2023. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. I'm Adam Leventhal and season's greetings to our wonderful panel. Jay Harris is here. How are you, Jay? I'm a little bit wet. Ah, yes, you are. Do you want to explain? I very stupidly knocked a glass of water over myself and my laptop. Will you be able to do any more articles for the rest of the year? I think I'll just about manage to power through. Okay. Is that good news? Is that bad news? Who knows? (laughs) Uh, Tim Spears is here as always. How are you? Yeah, good. I feel like we've already done the podcast with our pre-match uh, chat, yes. <laughs> which people might like to have listened to. We've been talking never about be aired. various issues, including banning long throw-ins, which I'm all for. John McKenzie is here as well from TIFO. How are you? I'm good. It is great to have you all on the show. Uh, just a reminder for everyone that you can listen in all the normal podcast places, as you are right now, but you can also watch the show on our YouTube channel. We hit 200,000 subscribers on the channel this week. So thank you to uh, everyone for you showing some love. You sounded surprised by that. Well, no, I think that's a, that's a healthy total. Fixture formation in a moment's time. We will also, just a flag for you later on in the podcast, have a little bit of a review of the year, our panel's picks, and also a special quiz for you. But the fixture formation is... A 1-1-6-1 set up from Thursday through until Sunday. Listeners will note that that only adds up to nine games. Of course, Manchester City against Brentford was postponed due to City's involvement in the Club World Cup. We've already had Crystal Palace against Brighton on Thursday night. The Friday evening game, Aston Villa, who could go top with a win, are up against bottom of the lot, Sheffield United. The early kickoff on Saturday, 8th against 7th. West Ham against Manchester United. Then we have four Saturday three o'clocks. Tottenham, four points clear in fifth and a point off Manchester City in fourth against the real form team of the Premier League. Uh, Everton, five wins out of six for them. Nuno Espirito Santos, Nottingham Forest take on Bournemouth. 
Fulham in 11th against second bottom Burnley. Luton play their first game since the abandonment of the Bournemouth game. Uh, That's going to be replayed in full. They take on Newcastle. Not good form for Newcastle at the moment. Four defeats out of five in all competitions. The Saturday evening game is the meeting of the top two. We'll have a big focus on that in this episode. Liverpool second against Arsenal, top of the lot. And then Sunday, which is Christmas Eve. What a gift this game is. Wolves, 13th against Chelsea in 10th. We will start at the summit, though. So, yes, let's focus on the biggest game of the weekend. Tabletopping Arsenal against second place Liverpool as we head in to this latest round of fixtures. The winner goes top for Christmas Day. So Arsenal are sitting atop the Premier League, playing really well. Uh, But Liverpool at home, they've hardly dropped a point. So who do we put? Let's just quickly whiz round. Who do we put as favourites for this game? Jay? I'd probably say Liverpool because they are at home. Okay, Tim? I think the draw is the favourite, but I would slightly favour Arsenal. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah. Why? I just think they're playing the better football at the moment. They've got a really solid defence and they're in a very good moment. And this is like a chance to lay down a marker for someone and I feel like they're a better place to do that. And John? Yeah, I'm going to go with Tim. I think Arsenal are the favourites going into this one. That's interesting. I wasn't sure that you would go for Arsenal considering Liverpool's home form. In terms of a win... For Arsenal, if it is going to happen, it would give them a little bit of separation from Liverpool and Manchester City. Is that important right now to be able to do that? Well, I think you've just alluded to it, but Arsenal's record at Anfield over the last 10 years is abysmal. Um, I don't think they've won in 10 years. Um, I think they've conceded at least two goals in their last 10 visits as well. So not a very happy hunting ground. So I think to, to win against Liverpool, a team that, Probably people didn't expect to be competing for the title this season, but have certainly looked quite impressive in recent weeks, would be a massive statement. They've already beaten Man City this season. Okay, you know, had a little bit of a setback against Aston Villa. But for Arsenal to say that by Christmas they've beaten their two closest challenges for the title, I think that's massive psychologically. Do you think Arsenal will get a little bit spooked going back to Anfield after what happened last season, being 2-0 up and then leaving with a 2-2 draw. I don't think that'll be on their mind as much, but they have, they've they got an issue with their away form uh, this season, which needs to be resolved. So the last two big away games they've had away at Newcastle and Villa, lost both of those 1-0. They drew at Chelsea. They've won all their other away games against inferior teams like Brentford and Luton and Bournemouth recently. That's not a, I'm, that's not <laughs> no, a dig. I know it's not a dig, but it's just the way it's... <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, I, I feel like they've moved away from the the chaos we saw of at times last season they're playing with more control their defence looks stronger my biggest concern for them is over their keeper I don't think you can win a league with a keeper making mistakes so you look oh, you look shocked and surprised at well, me saying I'm that I'm just wondering whether we've moved on from that have we moved on from that I think the Luton game's still fresh in my mind that wasn't I, saw it, I saw a clip on social media and correct me if I'm wrong but that David Raya was being praised for his excellent distribution yeah, but he's always been praised for his excellent distribution. But in the last game, and that was key. There was there was no mistakes. Yeah, but you know, I was talking to um, Art De Roche about this earlier um, on the handbrake off, which I've been hosting oh, over yes, the last you couple of weeks. I just had yeah, to had to yeah. throw that in. Yeah, there. no, good, good. <laughs> I like that. Um, but Ray is still fluctuating between games where he does very little, 
and games where every time he's involved, he seems to make a mistake. He's not... So when he's under the pump, he makes mistakes? Feels that way at the moment. Um, and I think he's still waiting for that game where he bails Arsenal out of trouble, basically. I, don't, I think it's fair to say he's not kind of had that cornerstone game yet where everybody says, wow, Arsenal escaped with a point or Arsenal got three points because of David Rea. But interestingly, the game which kind of really, I think, cemented his status as a really good Premier League goalkeeper was against Liverpool a few years ago when he was at Brentford. Makes an amazing save from Diogo Jota in the first half and countless others as well. So I wonder if maybe you know, history will repeat itself and he can kind of do that on Saturday. Because if you remember, Ramsdale had a, a pretty decent game at Anfield last season. There was one save at the end. I can't remember who it was from off the top of my head, but it was basically going in and he scrambles across the line to clear it. So Rea needs to produce a similar performance like that. Otherwise, as Tim says, I think those questions do still exist. And Liverpool have had the most shots of any team in the league, I think I'm right in saying. And obviously they had yeah. many against Man United last week, albeit a lot from outside the box that were blocked. But still, he's going to come under a sustained period of pressure for sure. So it's a big test for him. What's your take on it, John? Because obviously it's being painted as, as Liverpool's you know, wonderful attack and Arsenal's strong defence. But when you look at the ba- very base, I mean, I, I, I almost feel silly raising these these statistics goals for and goals against um yeah. arsenal Base, have, basic basic have scored, <laughs> they've scored 35 and conceded 15 liverpool have scored 36 and conceded 15 there's very little to choose between the two sides is there yeah, it's funny because the 2-2 draw at the end of last season was the first game where liverpool started playing trent alexander arnold inside um and since that point they've been the best team in the Premier League per per results, which I think is is quite interesting. Liverpool obviously do have a great attack, but I, I still think there's big questions about how good Liverpool are actually reliably progressing the ball down the field. They're a very direct team. They have players who thrive in those direct attacking moments, and that has bailed them out of a lot of situations. But I think when you come up against a team like Arsenal, who for me this season have just been one of the best teams of all time out of possession I think it's going to be tough for them to be able to break that Arsenal team down so um, we mentioned that maybe draws could be the favourite in this game and I I do think that the way that you've angled it here is like good attack versus good defence is probably is a good way of looking at it I think Liverpool are able to do the things that they are able to do well namely attacking with dynamism and and pace using Trent Alexander-Arnold inside to be able to play those just really dangerous penetrative passes that he plays and, and Arsenal aren't able to stop those at source or, or deal with them when they come in, then Liverpool will, will have some joy. But at the same time, I think, on the other hand, what we've seen from Arsenal is maybe struggling to be as dangerous going forward as a result of the fact that they have now filled their team with profiles of players who are very, very good defensively. So if Liverpool are able to be kept quiet and, and Arsenal aren't able to click in an attacking sense, then, then maybe we are, we are looking at a draw. But I, I think that that's a perfectly adequate way of looking at that, despite the, the fact that the, the stats, as you say, do suggest that both teams are, are fa- fairly similar. Manchester United managed to keep Liverpool quiet in the, in the last game. Obviously, that was a game that had a big build-up. We were looking forward to a, a big grudge match. We just have to hope that it's not the same end result because we want a cracker, don't we, before Christmas? Cracker before Christmas, I like that. He knew what he was doing. He did know what he was doing. Yeah, it's an unusual time to play a big top two clash. It's got a later in the season sort of feel to it. I mean, Liverpool can go 10 points clear of Man City if they win their next two games because they play two games before Man City do. That won't bother Pep Guardiola or Man City, but it will encourage Liverpool in terms of belief and momentum if they can win this title. Or Arsenal, again, if, if, if they can soar ahead 
it's important at this time of year and normally funny results between sort of Christmas and New Year. Man City bang out form. They don't look like they're capable of going on a 10-game winning run at the moment. So it's potentially a defining sort of couple of weeks, really, with so many games coming thick and fast. This is where the table can really start to stretch out. Obviously, Liverpool are coming off the back of a, a drubbing of West Ham in the Carabao Cup. And it, it's difficult to, to use that as a barometer ahead of this game because they tinkered with things in terms of their formation and they seem to be, well, quite happy doing what they used to do, right? Yeah, and there's been lots of questions about, as I mentioned, the, the inversion of Trent Alexander-Arnold. I've just made a, a video for TIFO asking the question whether or not I was wrong about my reading of the situation because I've never really been that happy with them moving Alexander-Arnold inside. It felt to me that they were trying to solve a problem that existed because they had allowed their, their team to sort of cycle, decline down. They tried to solve it with a tactical means. They then brought in a lot of new players who can play the way that maybe they were playing before, but they persisted with this tactical tweak. And I, I think there's people asking questions now whether or not they might be better off going back to what Jurgen Klopp was doing so well previously now that they've they've uh, upscaled their midfield again. The, the big question for me with Liverpool is, are they going to come up against a team who's going to be smart enough to be able to stop Alexander-Arnold having that upside? And if you can, then what do they do? Um, or are you going to be a team like West Ham, who who clearly, I mean, he, I believe he wasn't playing. They, they, they went back to their previous approach with with West Ham but yeah they are they're, they're a team who do like to sit back and they don't like to pressure the back line so it makes the ball progression side of things easier and interestingly in the 2-2 draw that happened at the end of last season between Liverpool and Arsenal Arsenal were two goals up and were playing comfortably Liverpool get the, one of the get goals back and then what happened was Arsenal started dropping really deep it meant that Liverpool found it much easier to progress the ball forward so again all of this comes down to whether or not you're getting the upside of, of your tactical tweaks and I think Arsenal now are in a much better position to come out at Anfield and say we're not going to allow you to get any of the benefits that you get from having Trent Alexander-Arnold in, in a central space and if they can stop that then it's going to stop the ball getting into the front line and, and they're going to find it hard to score goals. Jurgen Klopp has been having a little bit of a go at the Liverpool fans wanting more of an atmosphere at Anfield. Uh, Tim, what, why, why are you smirking? No, I'm not. You are smirking. I'm happy to be Don't here. sit at the back of the car <laughs> smirking. Well, it's long overdue, isn't it? It's, re- it's really quiet at that place, like a lot of the time. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know. This, the, the famous Anfield atmosphere is a thing, but only for like really big games. I've been there. You must have been there when it's been, it's been really quiet. I remember when um, they were on the ropes against Watford um, in the 2019-20 <laughs> season, and it was deathly quiet, but it was an early kickoff, so maybe that had something to do with it. But Liverpool, it's not Liverpool those, won the game, obviously. It's but. not one of those stadiums where there's a constant level of like high noise week in, week out. Yeah. For a big game, I don't think there's any better stadium in the country. And I've been there on a couple of days when they've been going for the league on the last day against Wolves, and it's been phenomenal, to be honest. But yeah, it can, it can be very quiet. This reminds me of Guardiola a year ago having to go at City and the club for, we need to be a proper club again. This, this is too nice. It's too, the Happy Flowers Club, he called it. This feels like Klopp doing something similar. He's, he wouldn't have just said it off the cuff. He said it on purpose. Yeah. But also he did say it off the back of a, a game against West Ham in the Carabao Cup. The intensity, the, the jeopardy of, of that game isn't necessarily going to deliver the, the atmosphere. But maybe he did it pointedly because he knows that they will need them against Arsenal. Let's get some score predictions. Jay? 2-1 Arsenal. 2-1 Arsenal. We changed his mind. He said Liverpool yeah. at the beginning. No, I, no said, you... I said Liverpool were probably... F- Edged it as favourites. I think he's been swayed by the no, expert no, 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 panel. No, 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 no. I just said, you know, Liverpool are maybe favourites. Doesn't mean I. I'm just going to tie myself and not to make myself look stupid. But hey, two one Arsenal is the answer I'm okay. going for. Tim. Yeah, same. The same. I'll and say John. Two nil. Two nil. Arsenal. Two nil. Arsenal. 
Okay, well, we shall see. Next up, it is West Ham against Manchester United. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. So Saturday, 12.30, it is a very important game for two teams on the periphery. Of the top six, West Ham in eighth against Manchester United in seventh. United a point ahead. Let's talk about Man United first. Uh, John, I'll come to you. They got away with a result at Anfield, nil-nil. Was there positivity for you that, that came out of that just simply by not getting beaten and anything that they did in that game that they can build on? I feel like I'm going to sound like a broken record here. Try I'm, not to. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try not to, but... Um, Again, this comes down to what we were talking about with Liverpool before, the, the consistency of their ability to progress the ball down the field, make good decisions in the final third against a team. Manchester United sitting very deep. I've already said Liverpool are set up to, to really get the upside of being a direct, dynamic, attacking team. Manchester United went with the intention of not allowing space for them to run into, sitting deep and, and saying, come on then, break us down. And uh, Liverpool clearly didn't have the, the means to do that in that game. So, obviously... Manchester United went with a game plan that worked, so there's pos positivity from that. But I also feel as though there's a lot of problems with the way that Liverpool are looking to break down low blocks as well. So um, I guess positives and negatives there for me. Obviously, the big issue for Manchester United is, is scoring goals. Where do we stand on, on Hoyland at the moment, Tim? Are we thinking that he will come good? It seems as if, in a similar way, you know, we were discussing David Raya earlier on. We're expecting him to be perfect instantaneously. Do we just need to give this guy a little bit more no, time? Yeah, absolutely. I never never expected much more than what we're seeing from him this season, to be honest. I just think it's this the price tag has obviously has a massive impact on people's expectations of him. But personally I know I looked into his his career when he joined and didn't expect any more than than what we're getting. And I feel it's unfair to expect more of him. And it's poor recruitment on United's part to think that he's going to do anything else. And they should have foreseen, in my opinion, that Rashford was scoring way ahead of his average last season and that wasn't going to continue this year. I mean, he's dropped off far more than many some of us would have thought, but I never expected him to be scoring 30 goals again. So there's a lack of goals across that team and the numbers are shocking. I mean, they've only scored one fewer than Luton this season, um, despite playing one more game as well. Um, no problem in the Champions League. He's got 12 in six in the Champions League. But um, yeah, there are, you look across that forward line, with uh, Garnacho and Anthony, and there are not scorers of regular goals here at the top level. So it's completely to be expected for me. Service as well, right? You, you mentioned Rashford not playing as much this, this time around. They've got Garnacho in there, but Anthony's had struggles as well, producing chances. So for me, a lot of the problems can be 
trace back to like where's that service coming from. Hoyland is underperforming his expected goals, but I think he's only on you know around around three expected goals. He's on zero goals in the Premier League. He's three goals less than you would expect over that sample size, but it's a small sample size anyway, right? You know, for a, for a short period, you would expect some players to underperform their, their numbers. So it's a mixture of both, I think, that he's not being provided with particularly good service, but he's also not taking the chances that have come his way. Yeah, I, then, well, I, I, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, I completely agree with Tim. I always thought it was grossly unfair that Hoyland was billed as this silver bullet answer to Man United's troubles up front. It's a lot of pressure for a 20-year-old who... I think some people maybe incorrectly thought that he already was the finished article or he was on a similar um, level to Haaland at the time. Whereas actually what Man United were essentially investing in was the potential. Like he had a decent record at Atlanta, but it wasn't amazing. And it was only a couple of years before that when he was at Copenhagen and Sturm Graz that he wasn't, wasn't exactly ripping up trees. And I felt like, and still feel like, Man United probably need another centre forward someone who can take the burden of goal scoring off Hoyland. I don't think you can rely on a 20-year-old playing in the Premier League for the first time, not just this season, but also going forward as your only source of goals. So even you look at Arsenal, they've got Jesus and Nketiah. Nketiah may may not be on the same level as Jesus, but he's still going to get you goals against Sheffield United, Fulham, West Ham, Burnley, inferior teams like Wolves. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And and obviously the same with City. They've got Haaland and Alvarez. Most teams have two, three, four goal scorers at a good level. Can I take you to a, a, a parallel universe, John? Yeah, of course. I love those. Um, I was watching... This This isn't part of the parallel universe, but it's inspired my thinking. So you're watching in the real universe. I was watching in the current universe yeah. that I'm in right now. Um, Wolfsburg against Bayern Munich. Uh, Harry Kane, obviously, playing excellently well. In this parallel universe, where Harry Kane is playing for Manchester United, would he be able to solve their issues simply by being the goal scorer that we know he can be by being transplanted from Tottenham to, to Bayern Munich and scoring 21 goals now in, in the Bundesliga. Would he have scored as many goals now in that Man United team? And would if he change their potency overall as a team? I mean, this is definitely a different kind of profile to Hoyland, right? Hoyland is off the shoulder kind of kind of strike. He can do the hold up stuff as well. But with Harry Kane, what you expect to see is him dropping deep and helping be a, a generative player as well, deeper on the field. And if, you, if you're going to have a player like that, then you need to have other goal scorers who are going to get in behind into the space that's opened up by him. So I think a lot of this comes down to system problems, right? Uh, how many times this season have we seen Manchester United have to score through a moment that is generated? I, I'm thinking like the Burnley game. They won 1-0 um, and it's Bruno Fernandes yeah. having just an incredible volley uh, chance from, I think it was a Johnny Evans yeet into the box. And then we've got the Garnaccio Garnaccio goal for the for the Everton win it ends up being 3-0, but the first goal comes very early on. Just an incredible piece of skill as well. I think that's the problem with, with Manchester United, is that the system isn't consistent enough to generate chances and goals. And yes, you know, bringing in Harry Kane, that will definitely improve their ability to generate chances. But for me right now, the, the problem isn't with Hoyland. The problem is with the system not generating enough chances that it doesn't matter if Hoyland underperforms his numbers a little bit. You're still generating such a high volume of chances that you're, you're going to finish some of them. Let's talk about um, West Ham. Obviously, they were awful against Liverpool in the Carabao Cup. Um, but prior to that, seven wins out of 10 in all competitions, four wins out of six in the Premier League. Do you think that they will have no problem just blocking out that that defeat at Anfield and it being a blip and they'll be able to get back on track and they'll have they'll have 
belief going into a, a home game against Manchester United? Uh, I mean, they've been wildly inconsistent of late. They, mm. um, they lost 5-0 at Fulham. Uh, they got an excellent result against a very good team, uh, beating Wolves 3-0. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, yeah, 5-1 in the week, which is unlike a David Moyes team. But overall, they're having as good a season as I would have expected. I thought they'd have a bit of a, a bit of a wobble this year. They had a horrible pre-season. I mean, Rice went and there were no new signings for a while and brought in a new technical director, Tim Stiden, and there were suggestions that him and Moyes would, would, would be very much at odds with each other over recruitment. But recruitment has been good, and we've sort of seen Kudus recently um, in phenomenal form. So, yeah, ninth in the Premier League and good results in Europe. I can't really explain the wild inconsistencies. I don't know if that's the schedule well, just, of this just, season well, or well, last season. Just on the Carabao Cup, he, he dropped quite a few players, didn't he? And also, Moises, I don't think Moyes has ever won at Anfield. No, he hasn't. But so, also, West Ham... So had, I almost feel a, like he, he rocked up thinking, it's, it's not going to change which game do I, I maybe care about more, which West Ham fans will potentially disagree with, especially after they won won a trophy last season, but felt very much like he rocked up knowing that they were going to get turned over. Does David Moyes get enough credit, do you think? I think he gets too much credit. Too much? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, this, may, this will be a very um, deeply unpopular opinion, perhaps, but I feel as though... I was looking the other day at how much money Liverpool have spent in the last five years. West Ham have spent more money, gross, in the transfer market than Liverpool... Uh, in the last five years, which seems insane to to me, anyway. I, I think yeah, from London. Uh, What's that got to do with it? I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> well, well, they have. Well, just off the top of my head, they've signed two strikers, which have turned out poorly, sure, and sure. Haller and Skamaka. Yeah, and and that has become a repeated problem, right? That they 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 have this cycle under David Moyes, which is they do okay, get into Europe, and and then I guess the the idea then is, oh well we should be expecting to be more than a mid-table side. We should be really trying to get into the top, whatever the top number is these days, seven, eight. And so they bring in players who they think, well, this could raise the, the, the ceiling of our squad. doesn't work out. They have a bad season, sell those players on, start the cycle again and go back to, you know, Moyes ball, sit a little bit deeper, try and hit teams on the, on the counter. But yeah, I, I feel as though what then ends up happening is people say, oh, you know, West Ham have a bit of a poor season, have a last season, and they avoid relegation. Everyone's like, you know, he's done a good job, he's kept them up again. But this is a team that's spending money that, that should have them competing, I think, at least regularly in, in the top half for European spots, and it doesn't. Have we ever asked you who you support? You haven't. Have you ever outed yourself in public? Uh, I'm, I'm a well-known as a Leeds fan, I think. OK, fine. Good. So you're, you're out as a Leeds fan. I am. I am so out, what West yeah. Ham have done, what Wolves have done, what Crystal Palace have done, that's better than being a, a yo-yo team like Leeds potentially are going to be, isn't it? No, but it's, it's true though, isn't it? I'm, I'm just trying to sort of, you know, if you, if you have those sort of strong beliefs against a team that has actually kept up and incrementally had a, you know, an ephem- ephemeral moment where they've won the Europa Conference League, then, you know... That, if, if your a, question is, do I judge other teams' success on the basis of the way Leeds have no, behaved I, in the I last few seasons... No, I don't. I think Leeds have been very badly mismanaged in previous But if, previous da- okay, if David Moyes was able to deliver what he has done at West Ham at Leeds, would you take it? No. Oh. The issue is, is that like, all clubs should, should want to have some kind of succession planning, right? There should be the, the attitude that, okay, we, when you're a club like Leeds, obviously the best, the best approach now is going to be getting up into the next division and staying there for a, a, a repeated number of seasons. But once you've got to that point, then... 
of course I want, I'm going to want a different manager. If you're saying to me, would I want to keep a manager forever who keeps my team in the Premier League? No, I want, I want to feel as though my team is, is being pushed and, and, and the, the ceiling is considered you know, not enough until we're, we're competing at the top. So that's all it is for me is just a timeline thing. It's not, it's not an in, inherent dislike of what it is that David Moyes is doing. It's simply a, the question, could West Ham be doing better now? Could West Ham have solidified themselves as one of the teams in the top six constantly competing for Champions League places. I think they've done that, John. I think they're there. They're eighth. And they could go sixth with a victory yeah, but over who, Manchester who, United. Who, but yeah, but who would you say in the Premier League is more likely to finish in the top six this season? Or when people talk about the top seven, eight teams in the Premier League, would you put West Ham in there? You'd say the traditional big six. And I would say then it's then very say, difficult to break into yeah, that. But, yeah, but then you'd say Brighton, Newcastle, Villa, then West Ham. Well... We shall see what happens at the end of the season. <laughs> I, I'm just here playing devil's advocate. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying like a, watching it's it. It's a variance thing, right? So some seasons West Ham are going to they're going to do. I mean, at the moment West Ham are definitely a bottom half tied according to the underlying numbers. And I think that these these clubs, yeah, I understand why they want to go the low risk approach. But I think with a team like West Ham, if they went for a more risky approach with respect to their manager, they might actually have a chance. Yeah, of, but they, they did that with Pellegrini. Buff. Yeah, and then, before Moyes and then went back to Moyes yeah, 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 like the yeah. Hodgson thing and I'm sure that's the reason why they are the way that they are with this now they don't want to take that risk but you know pick a better manager than Pellegrini very briefly <laughs> and I, I mean very briefly are you are you team McKenzie or team um, not McKenzie <laughs> on this or team Moyes or team McKenzie on I mean this? the money's a funny one I mean Premier League net spend for the last five years they're eighth that's where they're on the table you know, and I, I completely get, I get John's point about um, what you're building towards, really. We sort of had that with Wolves when Nuno took Wolves to seventh, but with a very pragmatic style, certainly in that last year. And people wanted a change of style in terms of football and wanted it to be more attacking and progressive. And that's the only way you can break the top six. But then if we're going to do that, you've probably got to spend the amount of money that Wolves spent to get from the Championship to seventh in the Premier League. They would then have to spend the same amount of money again, net spend, to break into that top six. And West Ham's recruitment has been the biggest issue for me, bigger than Moyes, in terms of why they haven't managed to do that. We could talk a lot about someone who has done very well, Mohamed Kudus, who you're going to be seeing at the at AFCON, aren't you, yep. Jay? Yeah. Looking forward to seeing him play for, for Ghana? Yeah, really excited. Um, I did actually catch one Ghana game at the, the World Cup in Qatar last year, which was their um, revenge mission against Uruguay, yeah. which failed. But I mean, I hadn't seen much of Kudus at that point, but I knew he was a talent um, because you know people were talking really favorably about what he was doing at Ajax but I actually felt really sad for him that game because it very much felt like it was kudos versus Uruguay um, I still don't know why he gave Andre Ayu that that penalty I think he's still only 22 23 but I think basically all of Ghana's hopes for the next five ten years are, are pinned on him he's such a talent I was obviously there when Brentford played West Ham a couple of weeks ago and he scores like a really acrobatic volley. You were, you were yeah, there that you, day as you well. Were, you were on the right side of the goal. I was behind the yeah, goal. We, yeah, got, yeah. we got the same angle, but the opposite way around. It was, um, yeah, he's such a good talent. And I think I knew and hoped that he'd be a success in the Premier League, whether he went to Brighton or West Ham. Moyes ball maybe doesn't always favour players who are a little bit more flamboyant in the way they play, um, but he's just instantly hit the ground running and come up with some really good goals. So yeah, good fun. Score prediction for this one? Jay? I'm going to say 2-1 West Ham. Tim? 2-0 West Ham. John? Um, <laughs> I'll go 1-1. One, one. 
because Moyes is never going to win. He basically doesn't no, want to I say mean, that Man United are going to win, but he doesn't want to say that Moyes <laughs> is going to win. <laughs> this, one, is, fine. this is the sort of game that West Ham could win or Man United could win, right? So I'm going to go with the draw. As in, like, both teams are going to try and hit on the break in, in certain <laughs> ways. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's too hard to call. Why do you keep asking me for predictions? I, don't, I, I really hope that gets edited do. down to John just saying, this is a game West Ham could win or Man United could win. And then that's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> if you just add in for more of this analysis, visit Tifa. Visit Tifa. <laughs> exactly. What uh, did I say that was wrong there? Was anything wrong? Nothing no, was exactly. wrong. And that was great. <laughs> Up next, Everton going for five wins in a row. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So Everton are now seven points clear of the bottom three following four straight Premier League wins and without conceding a goal in the process. And without their 10-point deduction, they would, of course, now be in the top half of the table. And meanwhile, Tottenham, they're coming off the back of two consecutive wins for the first time since October. They have got back on track. Let's start with Everton. How impressed have you been with what they've been doing and how they've been doing it? Obviously, they had their Carabao Cup exit to, to Fulham, but Ignoring that, in the Premier League, they've looked so cohesive, haven't they, in, in, in adversity? Seriously impressed. At the beginning of the season, I thought, I kind of predicted that they'd get relegated this year. It just felt like they'd flown too close to the sun on too many occasions and that it was eventually going to catch up with them. And looking at some of their business in the last couple of windows, it wasn't the most eye-catching. But I actually think we maybe need to give Kevin Thelwell a little bit of respect because what he's done is just picked up shrewd players like a Jack Harrison who's not cost them too much money because he's on loan from Leeds, but he's got Premier League experience. And I think what Deitch knew Everton needed was basically wingers like McNeil, Harrison, that put the ball into the box for Dominic Calvert-Lewin and, and Beto. And he's, he's found a system which which works, a little bit like Moyes ball, not to keep going on. That, that, that phrase is ingrained in my head now. <laughs> but I think Deitch knows, what he's, Deitch knows what he's good at and knows what he's bad at, and he, he kind of just sticks to his guns. Has, has Sean Deitch evolved? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I actually maybe slightly disagree with you that you say everyone knows what Sean Deitch does. I think he's come in this time around and started doing things that no one really expected him to do. Right? Everyone expects him to be a, a, you know, a manager who... I mean, even that was probably unfair, but sits deep and, and tries to hit on the break. But even if you watch his Burnley teams back, they, they, they used to be quite aggressive sometimes in, in, in games, pressing high up the field, etc. But this season, what's, what's happened is that he's developed the ability to, be, to have his team be super dangerous in, in attacking moments. And I, I think I mentioned last week on the podcast that if you look at his, his expected goals numbers from, you know, from tail, the tail end of last season where he, he took over a team that were very much on relegation form and you look at what's happened this season, they've jumped up to a European form in terms of go, like chance creation, which is just incredible like, and, and not what any of us expected. David, uh, just short, <laughs> David Moyes on the, on the brain now. Oh, you, it's, not, it's all right. He'll sure go. Does. He will drift at David Moyes. Cle- will clearly will that, drift out of your head. Clearly that year he had... Yeah, out of football, he's gone away and worked on himself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think also, like we we talk a lot about what happens on the field. I think off the field as well, 
Sean Dyche is exactly the sort of manager that a club like Everton needed at that point in time, where you just need someone who is a galvanising force, who is is very much in that leadership role, where he can he can say this is the this is the way we're going to do things as a club. Everything follows down from the way that I I do things, and and clearly that's had a, a really important aspect to, to the to the way that Everton have turned things things around as well. Tottenham, Tim, mm, looking yeah. looking better still have their issues in terms of injuries and absentees and January will be really interesting how are they faring at the moment have they got themselves fully back on track or are they teetering a little bit at times well they're going these funny streaks where they start the season winning eight and drawing two out of ten and they had this nightmare run of four defeats in five now they won the last two again and they do look better for it they've got this front four now I'd call it with um, Kulisevsky pushed back into like a roaming ten position which we've not really seen him in before and that's really working for him and Richarlison's form is very welcome. We'll see how long it lasts. In terms of goals and assists per game, he's eighth in the Premier League, believe it or not, around the likes of Salah and um, and Haaland. But obviously it's a very small sample size, so they need him to keep this going. You know, he's had injury issues. It looks like he's had surgery. It looks like he's got over that. He's obviously had mental health issues as well, which were very well publicised back in sort of September. So hopefully a couple of months away has done him a lot of good and Son can now move back to his best position in my opinion on the left of the front three rather than central I think that gives Spurs more options in terms, of, in terms of how they create their chances and Brennan Johnson is gradually improving so this front four backed up by a, a patched up defence yeah they look pretty good now. I think you know they've got um, they've got Everton Brighton away and Bournemouth the next three games and if they can sort of get seven points out of that then they'll be back in this conversation for top four and maybe upwards again you, you mentioned the, the switch between Richarlison and Son but what, what do you what do you make of that because it's not just that Richarlison wasn't available because they were playing Richarlison wide at one point and Son in the middle do you think that Postacoglu's changed his mind on that or I think that gets that gets more out of both players yeah. Richarlison on the left um, I mean he's quite he's quite direct he's not the most sort of not got too much sort of finesse about him. Mm-hmm. And they put in a lot of crosses to not much use. Yeah. With Because uh, obviously you've got the, the roaming fullbacks who are inverted and then you've got Johnson and Kulisevsky on either flank. And they put in a lot of crosses that go wasted. So I'd much rather have Richarlison in, in the middle for those chances. Yeah. And obviously you can go a bit more direct and play it up to him. He's much stronger, obviously. Son just limits you in how you build play up because obviously they have to play those cutbacks, don't you? From the yeah, and they don't they don't really play on the counter attack like they used to. You know, when you would have Kane coming deep and feeding Son, they've sort of lost that option. So Richarlison brings that back into play, I think. Score prediction, Jay. Two two. Spurs really struggle against low blocks. West Ham completely did them over a few weeks ago at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. They took until the ninety seventh minute to score against Sheffield United a few weeks ago. Liverpool with nine men, low block. <laughs> it took so long to win that game. I think they'll really struggle in this one. I think Everton will um, at least get a point, one all. You're saying that it's a game that both teams could win? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Spurs will win this one. Um, but I think what we've seen with Spurs is they, they, they play really well for the first 60 minutes and then they get a bit gassed. So if they get a couple of goals, I think they'll be able to hold on. Um, but if not, maybe Everton come back into it. So I'll say that Spurs will win, but um, it could go the other way. <laughs> What's the score, though? 2-1. Uh, OK, let's look at just a couple of the other games before we get to our end-of-year roundup and quiz, etc. We have a quiz. You probably didn't know about that, um, but it is coming up. Oh, yeah, quick word, Tim, with Nuno back in the Premier League. 
you obviously love him from his days at, at Wolves. Yeah. Probably think, oh, that was a bit awkward at, at Spurs. And now he's in charge of Nottingham Forest. Is he a better head coach than Steve Cooper? Is, it, is this, is this <laughs> is something you've argued? I, and, and that's not me being provocative. It's me. Do you know what? I'm so annoyed. This, I've had such a busy week. And I've spent the last two days, I've gone into bat for Nuno, right? I've been asked on podcasts here and then everywhere. I've had to write articles as to why, why was Nuno good. Everyone's forgotten. So I feel like I've been doing his PR all week. To be <laughs> um, You're backing Wolves Nuno, not Spurs Nuno, right? Well, that's the thing. There's so much recency bias with, with Nuno. This, he's had a 12-year managerial career where he's had success almost everywhere that he's been. But people remember him for 17 games at Spurs when he was 15th choice and never had the respect of the players. And Harry Kane basically went on strike. Um, it was a horrible <laughs> time to go in. And yeah, he, he was slightly out of his depth, I think, in terms of that dressing room. But... To just talk about that stage of his career as defining him is wildly unfair. He's, uh, I know he's only been in Saudi Arabia, but he won the league there. Done loads of things that Steve Cooper's not done in his career. So I'm not comparing the two, but to automatically say this is a downgrade is really unjust, in my opinion. And they have a tough opening game, um, or he has a tough opening game against yeah. Bournemouth as well. Well, if it's anything like his opening games for Wolves and Spurs, he'll win 1-0 at home, because that's what he did for both of those. And that's his favourite scoreline, really. And he, he will set up their defence to not concede, and they've conceded 30 goals already this season. So he'll he'll help them get results in the short term, but whether it works out longer term, I'd have my doubts. Uh, other games, a word for Luton, you know, they've obviously been through the mill since the game against Bournemouth, but there is encouraging news on on Tom Lockyer and he is now back at home recovering. He's had some surgery. It will be a, a very emotional atmosphere, I would have thought, at Kenilworth Road when they take on Newcastle, who are who are struggling at the moment. And then Wolves against Chelsea on, on Christmas Eve. And then the last game before Christmas is Wolves against Chelsea. And Jay, it was encouraging midweek, wasn't it, for Chelsea? Didn't play particularly well for large point. Well, it wasn't the most exciting game anyways. They kind of get this gift from Kieran Trippier. Mudrick scores. Nkunku makes his first appearance for the club. They win on penalties. So I do wonder if that game, you know, at the end of the season, people look back and say that was the moment where things actually started to fall into place. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So today is our last show of 2023, as we've mentioned. So we're going to have a little bit of time for some reflection. I want to ask for your various winners and losers of the calendar year. Does anyone know how many games there have been in this calendar year in what? the Premier League? Across the two seasons, anyone? Do you want to have a guess? 800? No. Well, that's, three, that's 380 games in a season, right? Yeah. So over the two seasons. Yeah. Surely it's about 380. It's got to be, got to be close to that, yeah. It's 386 so far. Uh, there's going to be 412 in the calendar year. There you go. You can impress your friends in the, in, the, in the pub. Yeah. He, was counting, he was counting twice. <laughs> yeah, home just, and away, right? Yeah, exactly. just, a little, just a little stat that you can take away with you. Um, the biggest winners of 2023. I haven't got much of an imagination. I was just going to say Spurs because I'm quite 
guess I've been quite close to it this year, but honestly, like the place was just a mess. Like he, he saw it in May. Like so, the biggest difference is the conversion. Yeah, they sing. We've got our Tottenham back. I've never seen. Oh, a, yeah, course, never seen a place. The final transform. game of the season. The Brentford game was the final home game of the season. Yeah, wasn't it? And they, they, about twenty people stayed for the lap of <laughs> dishonour, and then on, on to go from that to where they are now. It's amazing. Like I'm so happy for that fan base. They sing. We've got our club back. They they needed it. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's good to see. Okay. I think John? calendar year is interesting, isn't it? Because I think if you there's a couple of teams who've actually done really well in the calendar year. One of them is Liverpool. We've talked about they they had that ten game run at the end of the season after they inverted Trent Alexander Arnold and, and they're towards the top of the table right now. And then Aston Villa under Unai Emery, mm. same thing. Um, just an incredible uh, turn turn of events for them. So I think they would be my two shouts for winners. I'm going to say. Now that you forced me to change my answer, um, I'm going to say Brighton because obviously they got into Europe for the first time in their history and, and have now progressed through the group stages as well. Some big wins in there. No one's, no one's saying Manchester City who won the treble? No? Yeah. It's boring, it's boring though, isn't it? Boring? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's cool. That's fine. <laughs> Biggest losers of 2023. What was that Chelsea stat that we had last week? Didn't they've got that's the, my answer? Yeah, that's yeah, your answer, yeah, that's is a it? good point actually. So, I was thinking of the teams that got relegated, but yeah, it might be Chelsea actually. Have you got the stat? It was just the worst season of worst year of points for a team that hasn't been relegated. It's thirty nine from yeah. thirty nine games, something like that. But as Jay has said, maybe the turning point is going to be into twenty twenty four, and they're going to be the team of twenty twenty four. Who knows? Yeah, I think I'm going to nick, nick Tim's answer and say Chelsea. Are the okay, you're going Chelsea, Chelsea and John. David Moyes, obviously. And David Moyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. The best moment of 2023? Well, you're insisting that I make it Premier League only, which I'm having difficulty doing. Well, go on. No, it's all right. I'll give you this one. Go on. Okay, 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 okay. So my heritage is from the Caribbean. Yeah. No Caribbean team ever gets to the, the World Cup, or it's very rare. Mm-hmm. Let alone do they get to the knockout stages. So Jamaica getting to the last 16 of the Women's World Cup felt like quite a big moment for Caribbean football. So that's my answer. I'll have that. That's Thank great. Thank you. I like that. Tim, take us back down to earth. Uh, we, we were talking about arsenal Liverpool earlier. Do you remember when Constantine uh, Hatsidakis flicked an elbow at Andy Robertson? Never seen anything like that before wow. or since. And then Roy Keane called him a baby three times. <laughs> Robertson with perfect comedy timing. Yeah. I, that whole thing was wild. I love yeah, that. That was great. That was great. John? I don't know if I have a Premier League best moment either, but I, my favourite day... You can take us out of the Premier League can if you we? want. Yeah, okay. come on. Thanks. Um, I was going to say the, the end of the Bundesliga season last season ah, when, yes. when it, it looked impossible for Dortmund to not win and then they managed to do it in hilarious circumstances. So I'm surprised you went for that. I would have thought you'd be more on, on the side of Dortmund. So you would, you would have it as a bad well, moment. you know, yeah, it's, it's, it is a bad moment, but it is a moment, right? Or oh, you were Bayern Munich great. loyalist. No, no, not at all. But no? um, it, was, it was quite funny how it unfolded. I don't know. It was, a, it was an incredible game, a set of fixtures anyway that, that day. So I enjoyed that. Can you pick out your best goal of 2023? Yeah, I was having this argument with um, Art de Rocher earlier because... I, I don't think it's recency bias, but Garnacho's overhead kick was unbelievable. Yeah. And look, I do not support Man United by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. And I celebrate. Everyone knows you're an Arsenal fan. Well, yeah, there <laughs> yeah. you go. I celebrated that goal when it went in. Because you know when you're just like, that's just, it's what, 30 seconds into the game, yeah. across into the box, and that comes in. So I have to go for that. Tim? Uh, Pedro Neto. Everyone else is thinking of Pablo Sarabia's goal. <laughs> no, 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 but, no, but it's yeah, not, yeah, actually, not yeah, a joke. Actually, that is a good Again, goal. Again, yeah, I, yeah. I love the unique moment. So I've not seen yeah. a goal like that before. No. A long pass. He controls it with his right foot and he volleys it in with his left in one movement. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a beautiful goal. Yeah, it and brings John. me no joy to say it, but I'm, I'm with, with Jay on this. It's Garnaccio's head kick, really, right? 
Okay, all right, fair Not enough. Not because I disagree with Jay, it's because, yeah, it, yeah it's Manchester United, isn't it? So, and as a, as a Leeds fan. And it was, it was also yeah. the fir- Everton's first home game following the points deduction, right? Mm. So everyone said, oh, you know, it's going to yeah, be an absolute yeah, yeah, yeah. cauldron in there. Two minutes into the game, yeah. that happens. Yeah. Everton is just... Oh, it's just the that, most, yes. one of the most perfect overhead kicks I've ever seen, I think. Yeah. Um, the best player of 2023... I mean, Haaland's probably got to be up there. Just if you break the Premier League goalscoring record, then, you know. I know he didn't give Man City the treble a minute ago, but now I'm running out of imagination. <laughs> so I'm just going to go for the most obvious answer. Uh, Have you got ha- something a bit more niche? It's Harry Kane. It's not very niche, but he's a top scorer in Europe's top leagues for the year. And just look at him. Look at him. Three goals just look at him. In all yeah. competitions. Yeah. John? I'm going to say Rodri, I think. Um, yeah. I, I always tempted to say John Stones in these, in these situations <laughs> because it, Rodri, I think, just the, the best player for his position in the world, scoring the winner in the Champions League, which I know is not the Premier League, but uh, and a, a really big part of why Manchester City won won the treble. I think this season we've seen when Manchester City haven't had Rodri, they've they've struggled as well. So, final category uh, before we get to our quick quiz to end the show: a New Year's resolution. Or a a footballing thing that you would like to see the the back of and never see again and leave in 2023. Jay? I think it would be something VAR related. I'm not saying I want to completely get rid of VAR, but personally, they should only look at clear and obvious errors. I'm particularly bored of, you know, analysing offsides for something or somebody who's like a fingernail offside or replaying red card potential red card offences over and over and over again. I think it needs to semi-automated offsides and then only look at clear and obvious errors because otherwise the discourse about it just goes on forever. You, which you are actually part of uh, as I'm, we speak. I'm, I'm aware of that. That's fine. Tim? Yeah, so either ditch it or ditch talking about it. I've absolutely had enough of it. It's, like, it's, a, it's actually affecting my enjoyment of the game, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, really so boring. two VARs, John? Yeah, three VARs. Really? Yeah. So oh. It's gone to another level this season of... It just it's all anybody. Talks the scrutiny about. is in, in, insane. We now have a show that looks back on <laughs> VAR decisions, right? We've, we're really through the looking glass right now, and I think, it, you know, it, it, it's to the detriment of, of of good analysis and punditry. Right. We're going to end with two things. I wanted you on the show this week, Tim. You, you, you always well, you do, don't you? This isn't favoritism, but it cute. is. Because John and, and Jay, you have featured on on the um, on the podcast yeah, a, a, a number of a number of times, a number of times. But but I wanted to give a gift to to Tim. So Merry Christmas to you, Tim. West Brom or Luton or something with ball in the title. No, it's look at that. Isn't that? Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Do we like that? We like that. Oh, there you go. That is Tim Spears Spears Ball T-shirt. Oh my goodness um, me! So, Merry Christmas to you. I don't know what to say. No. That's remarkable. Well, you know what? Our quiz actually centres on Spears Ball. Well, not Spears Ball because he's not yet a Premier League manager. But obviously, Tim is not a fan of manager X followed by ball, okay? So I thought, okay, fair enough. Let's base our quiz on that and give a little bit more information. So we will go through each team and you have to tell me what formation they use to give us all a little bit more information than simply saying something manager ball. (laughs) 
Okay, let's start with Bournemouth. A Bournemouth play out of a 4-2-3-1 shape. Correct. But often, no, that's fine. out of possession, they, they have the 10 jumping up and one of the two pivot players <laughs> following them up. So they'll end up closer to a 4-4-2 shape. That's great. Most of the and time. You are the big brain on formations, clearly, <laughs> right? But 4-2-3-1 for Bournemouth. Correct. Arsenal. 4-3-3. Perfect. Aston Villa. 4-3-3. Incorrect. 4-2-2. 4-4-2. Correct. Well done. Brentford. 4-3-3. Very good. Brighton. 4-3-3. No. It's a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1. 4-2-3-1 is correct. Burnley. Burnley often play the back three, so I'd say it's probably a 3-5-2. Incorrect. According to Opta. Burnley are quite flexible, to be fair. Is it a back three that they've got? No. Down as? Okay, well, I don't know then. 4-4-2 for Burnley. Chelsea? I'll say 4-2-3-1. 4-2-3-1 is correct. Crystal Palace. They're more of like a 4-4-2. Yeah. No. 4 yeah. 2 no, Hang on, the formation guy. No, 4-2-3-1, correct. Everton. 4-4-2. I'd say more of 4-4-1-1. Uh, yeah, <laughs> is correct. Nice. Wow. 4-4-1-1. 4-4-1-1 is 4-4-2. Come on, it let's is, be honest. but uh, hang on a minute. I think that the nuances is. Four, I think four, what one, Sean Dyer should say is, well, actually, if you look at the the second striker, he's actually <laughs> south side of the defending player, so it's technically a four-four-one-one. Okay. There you go. That was good. That's amazing. <laughs> that was almost like he's in the room. Um, Fulham. Four-four-two. No. Four-two-three-one. Four-two-three-one. Correct. Liverpool. Four-three-four-three-three. Luton. Three-four-three. Three. Four three, I will give you. It's four, three, three four two, two one. one. Manchester City. Four three three. No. Oh, are we are we talking um, three two? Yeah. Two four, three. three. Four two three one. Four two three one. Thank you, Tim. Um, Manchester United. Four three three. No. Four two three one. Correct. Newcastle. Four three three. Correct. Forest. Three five two. No. Three four three. No. Three four two one. No. Four something. Four three three. Four three three. Correct. Sheffield United. Three five two. Not quite. They but do now. Back three. They've gone back to Christy three, Wilder. Four. Three four one two. Three four. Two, two one. Two one. Correct. Tottenham. Four three three. Yeah. No. No, but well, they do. That's ridiculous. <laughs> four, two, four two three one. No. Yeah. What? That's, that's, don't take it out on me. Swear on this. Take it out on some pods. Take it out on. Take it out on. Take it out on. Quietly. West Ham. West Ham. Anyone? Uh, four two three one. Correct. And last of all, Wolverhampton Wanderers. I mean, it's more of a four, three four three at the moment. Correct. <laughs> now, you rolled your eyes at that, Tim, didn't you? But you know the reason we did that? Because you've had a bee in your bonnet about me calling it Ange Ball this year. I make a solemn promise that in 2024 I will not say X Ball, and I promise that. Right. Ladies and gents, thank you very much. We will see you back in 2024. And I have to remind you that if you want to give the gift of The Athletic this festive period, you can get a one-year subscription at the special discounted price of just £19.99 in pounds or dollars. Simply head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod the athletic football podcast will return in 2024 have a wonderful festive period and an even better new year gary ball thanks very much for listening the athletic